George Clooney marries actress Talia Balsam in Vegas. National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation is the number one movie. And We Didn't Start the Fire by Billy Joel is the number one album in the country for some reason. Today, we are going back to December 15th, 1989. So did you know that George Clooney was married before? No idea. Literally no idea. Yeah. I thought the whole thing was that, like, he was a bachelor. Right? I mean, I guess for a long period of time he was, because they apparently got married in 1989, divorced in 93, and then she married John Slattery in 1998. Good get. Yeah, Don't dude, John think? Slattery, yeah, he works. He's working all the time. First of all, he's working all the time. Second of all, he's handsome. Third of all, he's funny. Fourth of all, he got that bitch a job on Mad Men. She played <laughs> his wife on Mad Men. That's a good husband who's like, baby, I got you. Also, I hadn't seen National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation until 2007. <laughs> <laughs> My mom hates Chevy Chase. It's a whole thing. <laughs> um, there it is. <laughs> you were definitely out of your mom's house by that point. Yeah, I saw it with friends of ours who were guffawed that I had never seen. They're like, what do you do at Christmas time? I'm like, we watch Scrooge. We're a Scrooge house at Christmas time. <laughs> we have no place for Chevy Chase nonsense. I feel like you did well. Hey, y'all. Welcome to the Wayback Recap, a podcast that obsessively explores all things past, from our favorites in TV and film, to Nickelodeon's flash screen, a toy by Mattel that consisted of a plastic sheet embedded with phosphorescent zinc sulfide and was accompanied by a small combination electronic flashlight thing Almost, like, picture the memory eraser from Men in Black. The flash screen was hung in a dark room, and you would stand in front of it, or, you know, you put somebody in front of it, and the electronic flash would freeze your shadow onto the screen. Using the flashlight, you could also, like, write on that uh, shadow that was frozen for a short amount of time. It was quickly recalled because apparently... It caused a few seizures. <laughs> First of all, Brandon, the audacity of you creating a script where for me, you're making me say the word phosphorescent <laughs> is mean. Like, you're mean. I don't know what I did to upset you so much. Second of all, this you thing was it like real. A pro. Thanks, me. I practiced. I, I, I practiced. I Googled how to say it because I was pretty nervous about it. <laughs> this thing... <laughs> This thing, this is some, like, Simpsons nuclear power shit. The, like, the fact that this was a toy <laughs> is shocking to me. They gave this to children. I had it. Did you? Yeah, it was a great toy. It was so fun. Loved it, loved it, loved it. Wow. Played with it all the time. Wow. I will pull my pants down, take a picture of my weenie. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I never did that. But I did own one. He thought about it, for sure. Gonzo knows it. <laughs> <laughs> Don't bring Gonzo into this, man. What did Gonzo oh, do? Oh, shit. Uh, my family listens to this podcast. I'm sorry to if, the other families who listen to us. You're welcome. It's all I'll say. I will encourage you. Brandon is always so good in his scripts. He always, like, links uh, the commercial to the thing we're talking about, which is awesome. And the commercial for this is perfect. I do encourage you all to... I'll try to post it on the show page, but I'm not good at it. 
go watch <laughs> the commercial for Nickelodeon's flash screen. And they'll show you, and you'll be like, this is x-ray technology that we're using on children. Like, it's <laughs> wild. It's wild. Like, this is the thing they used to make sure when you go through airport security now. I'm Brandon. And I'm Patricia. And this episode, we're talking family matters. Okay, uh, usually I don't like for you to sing the theme song because I'm afraid we'll get sued, but I was waiting for it there because it's a classic fucking theme song. I agree. Like, the show's 90% theme song, 10% Steve Urkel. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I like those odds. Uh, I feel like if you are a child of a certain era, the 80s and 90s, you're probably all too familiar with how iconic the show is. Again, that theme song, this era was the theme song era where it was just like a bop. Like, it was a bop. We love them. You we love listen them. to that whole thing today. I would watch it. I'd listen to it. It's a good <laughs> song. So... But for those of us who actually don't know, I feel like I say that every episode, but for those of us who don't know, if you're not a child of the 80s or 90s and are looking for a little bit of culture in your lives, Family Matters is an American television sitcom which aired on ABC. ABC stands for the American Broadcasting, Broadcasting Company, Company, right? Mm-hmm. I think so. All right, cool. That's how people used to watch things back in the day. We didn't stream. We turned on the television. <laughs> there to were like one four of the channels, and one of them was ABC. The show started September 22nd, 1989, and lasted all the way to May 9th, 1997. For those eight years, it was on ABC. However, ratings started to decline. ABC canceled it. It was picked up by CBS from September 19th, 1997 to July 17th, 1998 for one more year series, which is wild. I don't know many shows that like skipped networks, such major networks like that. I, Do you? I can, I mean, I can think of a couple, but I feel like they always ended up at CBS. Like that's what happened to Unsolved Mysteries. It bounced to CBS oh, yeah. and it got a second life on CBS. And then there was... Maybe it was DuckTales. There was another cartoon that started... Or maybe it was Double Dare? Like, also had a run on CBS? I can't remember. It does happen, but it was rare. Oh, like the adult Double Dare. Mm -hmm. I remember we talked about that. Mm -hmm. Family Matters is about a middle-class black family living in Chicago. The series is actually a spinoff of Perfect Strangers and revolves around the Winslow family. With 215 episodes spanning nine seasons, Damn. Family That's a long time, man. I didn't realize that yeah. show was on for that long. Like, that's a long time. Yeah, covered a whole decade. Shit. You know what I mean? Like, oh, essentially like a whole era of time. <laughs> Family Matters is actually the second longest running U.S. sitcom with a predominantly black cast. This is only surpassed by The Jeffersons, which is also a spinoff. Of yep. All in the Family, yep. both of which lasted longer than their parent series. So you're probably like, wait, Family Matters was a spinoff? Yes, girl. Family Matters was a spinoff of Perfect Strangers. If you didn't watch Perfect Strangers, it was a part of the TGIF lineup. Again, you're probably like, what the fuck is this acronym? <laughs> Patricia, fill us in what TGIF is, uh, my dude. TGIF. Thank goodness it's Friday! Duh! <laughs> yes, so 
TGIF was also not only an acronym, but it was a lineup of television series on Friday night on the ABC network. TGIF started in 1986 and lasted and had many iterations all the way up to 2018, I think. Like, it disappeared for a while, came back, got reworked, but ultimately, right now, it's dead. But TGIF, at one point in time, in the late 80s, mid-90s, early 2000s, was the place to be on a Friday night if you weren't out doing sex stuff, (laughs) like myself, at 12 years old. So, I was watching TGIF. And it fucking anchored ABC. Like, for so long, ABC didn't have shit to talk about. Like, Fox was taking a lot of ABC's viewers in the late 80s. CBS was, NBC was kind of like the network. TGIF saved ABC. Ooh. I probably knocked some of y'all over with a feather when I mentioned that Family Matters was actually a spinoff and lasted longer than its parent series. I want to give you a little bit of information about the show, Perfect Strangers. Patricia, did you ever watch Perfect Strangers? Um... No, I did not watch Perfect Strangers. Furthermore, I have zero recollection of it being part of the TGIF lineup. So, like, I must have been late to TGIF because I didn't know shit about Perfect Strangers. Furthermore, when you told me that Family Matters was a spinoff of Perfect Strangers, I was speechless. I had no idea. Wow. I'm glad to... See, this is why I do this podcast. To enlighten you people. (laughs) To culture some of you all. Uh, be honest, did you know it was a spinoff before you started researching this episode? 100%. Liar. I'm also a Family Matters super fan. It's like, true. there was a point in time where I really was into Reginald Vell Johnson as just a human being. And Carl was just like a really fun TV dad that I really enjoyed. So, Sam, really like Family Carl Matters. Carl is a great TV dad. And we are going to see what a good TV dad he is when we get into this episode. But I'm a huge, uh, I lost my dad when I was really young. And so I would use a lot of pop culture figures to become a new dad. Like I went through like a Dick Van Dyke new dad phase. And then I went through like, I went through, <laughs> but I was like, man, Carl Winslow, that's a good dad. I would let him take me to a daddy daughter <laughs> dance. <laughs> <laughs> I, that, you know, in the later seasons when they were really doing Bound CBS, they should have added a white daughter to the series. Because we'll oh. also talk about they're just characters that come and go out of nowhere. Here's a zany white lady next door. What's she about? Well, you would have been like a kid, like yeah. a teen. Nowadays, I live pretty close to the Family Matters house. Yeah, bro. Uh, in Chicago. is one of the yep. reasons I showed this episode. Anyway, speaking back to this episode... <laughs> Family Matters was not only in good company at TJF, it was also in good company with the production company that was under Miller Boyette. That name rings a bell probably deep inside some of you all who were also like 80s and 90s kids because Miller Boyette had a very successful couple decades producing very successful sitcoms. Like they were the sitcom production company. Like you wanted to work out a sitcom, you would go to Miller Boyette. They were the hit makers. Like, if you wanted a popular sitcom, that's where you went to. And they would give you one. Yeah. For, for instance, uh, tell me if you know some of these shows, Patricia. Bosom Buddies, which starred Tom Hanks. I loved it. I've, I've loved, never watched Bosom Buddies. I've loved men dressed as women my whole life. <laughs> <laughs> Happy Days. It's a pass for me, Four. but I do know it, of course. Oh, bro, I used to watch Happy Days on uh, Nick at Night all the time. I was... 
really into the Fonz. Not like sexually, but I was like, <laughs> Fonz is cool. I'd hang out with Henry Winkler. I never got into Happy Days or the Wonder Years. I didn't like nostalgia things as a kid. I was like, we don't live in the 50s. The 50s were not cool. Stop glorifying this. It's weird. And now you have a podcast specifically like devoted to nostalgia. But but we ain't talking about the fucking 50s. Yet. Give us time. (laughs) Please, listeners, someone request the Dick Van Dyke Show so I can do an episode on the Dick Van Dyke Show. This could be a sidebar, but did you know that Heather from Sisterhood really loves Dick Van Dyke? Um, did you know it's because Dick Van Dyke's an American treasure, and he's a wonderful, yeah. beautiful soul in person who is 97 years old and still going strong, was just caught by the paparazzis wearing a fucking Mary Poppins sweatshirt? <laughs> he's perfect. He could play your grandfather in something. I feel like like if you have like a rom-com, he would play like the zany grandpa. Yeah, that's the dream. For sure. Let's put that into the universe. (laughs) I say all the time, the nicest thing my big brother ever said about me is that in the movie for his life, the actress he would cast to play me was Natasha Lyonne. And I was like, that's the nicest thing anyone's ever said to me. So think about it. Natasha Lyonne, Dick Van Dyke. That's a movie. I could see it. I could actually see it. Other shows that Miller Boyette actually produced. Full House, obviously. Uh, as we were talking about Perfect Strangers, Mork and Mindy, which had the Robin Williams on it, Laverne and Shirley, which I fucking love, Penny Marshall. Love Laverne uh, and Shirley. Cindy Williams, like, they are up there. And then, of course, Step by Step, another TGIF, like, lineup. Holly, I didn't I know they great. even had Step by Step. I loved me some Step by Step. Me too. Patrick Duffy was a hot dad. I was like, Babe. I could join this family. Babe, I was in love and with then, the cousin. He's not cool to talk about anymore. But I was in love with him yeah, at the I was, time. I was about to say the same thing. Isn't his name like Cody on the show and his real name is Sasha? Yeah. Patrick Duffy, uh, you're a babe. Suzanne Summers, also beautiful. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We should talk about Suzanne Summers. <laughs> she was really up there. Uh, but that was like what Miller Boyette was known for. It was like producing these really hit shows. And quite honestly, like they all stand the test of time. Like Mork and Mindy is a classic. It really launched Robin Williams' career, in my opinion. Who am I? Laverne and Shirley. Like, I love Laverne and Shirley. And this isn't the last time we're actually going to talk about Cindy Williams, by the way. Just a little I a think little that, like, not to get all femmy about this, but without Laverne and Shirley, like, Penny Marshall doesn't become a director. If Penny Marshall doesn't become a director, we do not see movies like League of Their Own. L- like, all of the other great movies... Yeah that Penny Marshall's fucking made. So it's like, I think people shit on Miller Boyette that the that the shows they made were like simple shows. Like, they weren't gonna win acting awards and shit. And people called them, like, saccharine. Like, too sweet to, sw- to swallow. But these shows yeah, are good. And they, they have worth. Like, maybe not Fuller House. But... <laughs> <laughs> I was literally about to say something about Fuller House. That's so funny. Yeah, they weren't, like, really, like, well-written shows and stuff. There's so many tropes to it, but, like, they drew people in. Perfect Strangers was no exception. Um, it starred Mark Lynn Baker and Bronson Pinshaw as a high-strung and cynical man and his cousin, who was naive and from a foreign country, new to America, new to Chicago, and that's where a lot of the hijinks took place. Uh, do you know Bronson Pinshaw at all? I remember you said you didn't, like, when we first talked about this. No, I 
I'm not sure if I had ever seen an episode of Perfect Strangers until I watched an episode of Perfect Strangers with you two weeks ago. That's so funny we watched that. But wasn't um, the non-Bronson Pin show, wasn't he from Bosom Buddies? That actor? I He might have been. I, I think he was. Research on I could Bosom be wrong. Buddies. Yeah, I could be wrong. But I think he was in Bosom Buddies. I feel like that we need some journalistic integrity. Pause the podcast and let's look this up. So Patricia was wrong. Super just wrong. to let you guys know. So wrong. Yeah, it's okay. No offense, P. Um, sometimes you just say stuff, and I appreciate the the uh, confidence, <laughs> the courage, and the charisma you do when you just make stuff up. Because it, Thank you. without that, that would not. Yeah. Sometimes it's just, <laughs> it's just like committing to the part, and that's you know. That, that's what you need to do sometimes. Sorry, I got white men confused. They all look the same. <laughs> so, yeah, he wasn't in that show, but he was in Perfect Strangers doing really great stuff. So I was going to say, I'm really curious to learn about Bronson Pinchot because I literally don't know anything about that cat. Like, where did he really? go? Why is... did he get this job? That is so strange. I mean, I could look that up, but I know no, Bronson Pinchot from it. lots of different things. One of which was... Langoliers, like the Stephen King like miniseries that came on TV that had like terrible effects. Have you seen that? He played the asshole, so. which was so far removed from what Balky <laughs> is on the show, and I just vividly remember that. Interesting. Set in Chicago, where both me and Patricia have ties, is where Perfect Strangers is. I do think the the thing when you watch Perfect Strangers, based on this one episode that I watched with Brandon two weeks ago, is if you have spent any time in Chicago. The flat or the apartment that these two guys live in is exactly what Chicago apartments look like. Like, yeah. it's wild. <laughs> like, I know the outside was just used from an apartment, but even on the set on the inside, they nailed it. Every Chicago apartment looks just like that. <laughs> so starting with season three of Perfect Strangers, the opener is when we're actually introduced to a pivotal character in Family Matters, the Harriet Winslow she gets a job at the Chicago Chronicle as an elevator operator. Fans of the show fell in love with Joe Marie Payton's portrayal of Harriet Winslow. She didn't take shit from anybody on the elevator uh, that she worked on at the Chicago Chronicle. She was funny, she was quick-witted, and she just always had some like great scene-stealing moments. She played a pivotal part in one of the seasons getting Balky a job at the Chicago Chronicle, so then he's there causing hijinks <laughs> at the newspaper. Is the Chronicle still a thing? The Chicago Chronicle? Is it real? I, no, the Chicago Tribune. I've That's never heard of was. the Chicago okay. Chronicle. Okay, you don't have to lie. You don't... <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Joe Marie Payton's Harriet was across 33 episodes of Perfect Strangers from the third and fourth seasons. Jill Marie Payton had been quoted as saying that the episodes that she appeared in were the more popular episodes for the series. Yeah. So then I got producers thinking, oh, we need to do something with this. We need to make a spinoff. Yes. So there are many different types of spinoffs. The one that's being particularly used in Perfect Strangers is what we like to call in the biz a backdoor spinoff. This is typically where you have a one-off episode in the parent series that features those characters to see how they play, to see if the audience likes it, and that's kind of like the pilot episode, which leads then to the spinoff series. Right. We were introduced to Harriet's husband, police officer, 
Carl, Carl Winslow, played by played by the Reginald Vell Johnson. Reginald Vell Johnson, by the way, at the time was sort of typecast playing cops. He is very well known for Die Hard, where he had a pivotal role in that. We'll talk about that at Christmas, I'm assuming. He was in so many different episodes and movies and things as a cop. Yeah, when I was a kid, I thought that was just a cop. I didn't even think it was an actor. I just <laughs> thought this was a cop who was good at TV. Carl appeared on season four's episode, The Backdoor Pilot, mind you, Crime Busters. The premise of that episode was Larry, who works for the newspaper. He's like hungry for a scoop. He's hungry for a story when he meets Carl, Harriet's husband, who's on like a stakeout or something like that. And so he trails him and it causes a big problem with this big bust. It's a good episode. It's a good episode. But you really do kind of get a, yeah, you do get a sense of who Carl and Harriet are as a couple. They have like an argument at one point and then I think it's Balky who butts in like into their argument and Harry says something along the lines, this is like a family matter and whatever and that's how we get the name of the series. Damn. Uh, Yeah. They were well received and I mean really so. Joe Marie Payton and Reginald Val Johnson, I'm going to talk about a little later when we get into the cast, but were very, very talented actors, especially from like stage. They had a lot of background in stage productions, uh, TV and movies, but they were fantastic and had great chemistry as Harriet and her lovable husband, Carl. The the chemistry is off the scale. Like, I, if I were in a relationship with either of those actors, I would be like, are you cheating on me? Tell me the truth. <laughs> so obviously to the producers, once they saw how well they got along and how well the sh- episodes were really received and people loved it, the spinoff was a no-brainer. Done. They were like, all right, we're going to make a show. The show's initial purpose was to focus on Harry and Carl since they had such like a great on-screen presence together. It was going to be about them and their family. From the episode that Crime Busters aired at season four, um, I forget what episode it was, eight months later is when we get the first episode of Family Matters. Nice, that's fast turnaround. Yeah, bro. They were like, let's make this money. I also think, based on what TV was at the time, I'm thinking they were trying to look for something that could like easily take away the spotlight from the Cosby show. You know what I mean? Like, at this time, the Cosby show is, like, super, super popular. Mm-hmm. And so I'm sure they were, like, trying to get into, like, a black market and, like, hey, let's have a show, like, middle-class black people going through every everyday kind of, like, things that aren't necessarily perfect like there are on the Cosby show. Right. That's my opinion. And I think that Joe Marie Payton even kind of said that's kind of, like, what the premise was of the show. Yeah. And initially, Balky and Larry were going to be a part of the pilot episode but it was cut pretty early on. They never actually appear on Family Matters, even though it is a spinoff, which is super strange. <laughs> um, and then also super strange, like the premise of the show essentially changed completely once it aired. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. Yes. So once we had a premise of the series, we had to have a cast. We had to have a family. We already had Carl, played by the Reginald Vell Johnson, who was born... On August 16th, 1952, in Queens. His mother was a nurse, and his father was a hospital attendant. Yeah, he's the same age as my mom. He's a he's a couple, or she's a couple months older, but same year. Yeah, that's so wild. Oh, I was asked, I was reading his, like, bio as well. I forgot that he was a cop in Ghostbusters in a scene. <laughs> oh my do you God, remember that? Yes, I do remember. 
That's funny. He was God, also he in, really was a cop all the time. He was in Crocodile Dundee, and I think he was also in Turner and Hooch with Tom Hanks. Yeah, he sure was. It's so wild to think. Like, <laughs> he looks like a Chicago cop. I can see Carl being like on the beat in Chicago. Someday we'll do a Turner so and Hooch he, episode. Oh, I'm into it. I've actually never seen Turner and Hooch. Really? Not all the way through. I think I've seen it like on Disney Channel and shit like that at some point. Tom Hanks is in his underwear for a shocking amount of time. So I'm surprised you never I'm watched it, it as a youth. Yeah. <laughs> I do know the scene. Believe me. Believe me. <laughs> Rita, watch out, bitch, because I'll, I'll take Tom. <laughs> He's a good man. We'll get rid of Chet. We'll get rid of Chet. Playing Harriet Winslow, of course. We've talked about it. Joe Marie Payton, also born in August. August 3rd, 1950, in Albany, Georgia. She later moved to Florida, Opalaka. I hope that's how you say that. It was initially thought that uh, Peyton left because she didn't like the way that the show had progressed or regressed in a way from the Winslow family to the Steve Urkel show. And it was just like focused on Urkel. And she that's what they thought was the reason she left sure reality she talks about is like honestly it may have been a little bit of both in my opinion but she said that like she had been doing the show for so long and it was just like her contract was up and she wanted to do something different like i'm sure it was like i don't really care about yelling at steve urkel anymore i want to like do something else and she yeah. does she actually does like voice acting work she worked um on one of my favorite TV shows, The Proud Family as Sugar Mama, and she's on the reboot as that yes. as well. She does that voice, which is super cool. She also, at one point, I looked this up on IMDb. I think it was fun. She was on The Weakest Link with Ann Robinson, not the good version with Jane Lynch, uh, where she appeared in an episode of TV Moms for Mother's Day. It was I'm really, obsessed really with that. I'm obsessed with that. I want to go on Weakest Link with her so bad. Next on the cast list, Whoa, there's a lot of August birthdays in here. This is really interesting. Uh, is Rosetta Lenoir, who plays Mother Winslow, Estelle yes. Mother L Winslow. Oh. She was born August She was born August 8th, 1911. Uh, died March 17th, 2002. So I think, well, no, she's not the only cast member who's passed away, but we'll talk wow. about that as well. Sure. Uh, she's a stage TV movie legend. She was a Broadway producer and a casting agent. Wow. Yeah, most people know her as Mother Winslow. Like, that's kind of what she was on, as well as Give Me a Break, which she also starred on with uh, Aunt Rachel's actress, Telma Hopkins. Like, they played on that together, and she was on Amen. Lenoir created her own studio, like, um, acting studio that really catered to, like, diversity when a time when, like, you didn't really have black stage actors on there as well. That's, or excuse me, that theater is still open like yeah. it's still producing shows i think so That's her amazing. legacy is strong rich love you rosetta lenoir you are honestly one of my favorite like grandma characters on tv for sure i'm not skipping over him um because i do think he's like an important part of the series but darius mccrary plays eddie uh the oldest winslow son Eddie is kind of like your quintessential boy next door, plays basketball, gets in trouble, is not really smart. He doesn't play a huge role in this episode, so I'm not going to like like dive too deep on who Darius is right now, because I will save that for another episode. Uh, but Kelly Shanine Williams, who plays Laura Winslow, was born on March 22nd, 1976 in Washington, D.C. 
She started off as a fa- she started off as a child fashion model. She wow. didn't talk much, so her dad was like, "Hey, you should do acting," and that get, really got her out of her shell, essentially. And she was doing plays, just like James Earl Jones. Yeah, that is so true. She also did like commercials and theaters and stuff at, before she got the role of Laura Winslow. And honestly, like, this is a iconic role. I love Laura. Laura I is also like love Laura. really funny, relatable, super smart, and beautiful. And then <laughs> it's just like Laura is funny. Like she's a funny character. Laura's funny. She really takes after Harriet in that like take no guff yes. kind of attitude, and that's really inspiring. Yes. I also really liked. I really related to her as a kid because Laura cares about school. She cares about going to college. Like, she is a normal girl and stuff, but she has her priorities, and she's going to work towards those priorities. And that was I that was super influ- influential to me as a kid. Oh, yeah. It's so funny that you said that about, like, the whole Harriet and Laura connection. Like, this <laughs> character that this show is based off is Harriet, who's, like, takes no guff from anybody, who's no-nonsense, funny, quick-witted. Laura is that. Mm-hmm. She's essentially the Darlene to uh, Harriet's Roseanne. Do you know what I mean? Like, she's just, like, a carbon copy and just as funny. That's an excellent analogy. And, like Darlene, but she's, like, the better... Ver- better's too strong of a word. But she's, like, the evolved version of that. So... Yes, yes. You know, she goes a step further. It's cool. Yeah, I really do like Laura. I think she may be my f- second favorite Winslow after uh, Carl, but... And Harriet and Mother. I like the Winslow family. I I, if I were to be in a, a stay tuned situation where I had to go into like a TV show of like a sitcom, I would go to Family Matters. Same. We also have who I'm not going to talk about a lot because I think this would be a really interesting episode, like mini episode for Patreon or something like that. But I think there's a lot to talk about there. But Jamie Foxworth plays sister Judy Winslow, the youngest of the Winslow children who famously is known to only be on four seasons of the show, seasons one through four, goes upstairs and never comes back, never <laughs> mentioned again. No one says anything happened to Judy. The actress Jamie Foxworth then has like kind of a rough downward spiral at the time where I think she was like doing drugs and stuff like that. Um, she was doing sex work, which is nothing wrong with that. But of she. Not. We then have Telma Hopkins... Thelma Louise Hopkins, born October 28, 1948. She's an American singer and an actress. Patricia, guess where she was born? Louisville, Kentucky! Yeah, she was born in Louisville, Kentucky, my dude, where me and Patricia also have ties. She was mostly known, or at least rose to prominence, as a member of the 1970s pop music group, Tony, Orlando, and Don. She was one of two people who were Don. Uh, a singing group, kind of like a backing vocal, but also supporting, I should say, for Tony Orlando. This was between 1974 to 76. Joyce Vincent Wilson was also the other member in that. Um, they even had a successful like variety show. Nice. I shouldn't say successful, but a variety show that lasted for uh, at least two seasons in the 70s, which was very interesting. Nice. The 70s loved variety shows. Oh, yeah. Also really cool about Thelma Hopkins, I was, remember when we were talking about Cindy Williams? She left, famously uh, left Family Matters to get another TGF, TGIF spinoff. Oh, excuse me. It wasn't a spinoff, but a TGIF series made by Miller Boyette. It was called um, Getting By. It only lasted, I think, one or two seasons. It starred 
Telma Hopkins as the mother of two teenage boys and Cindy Williams, a mother of two teenage daughters who, I can't remember what city they're in, maybe it's Chicago, but buy a house together and raise their families together. They like work together as social workers and things like that. And so it's, I think... Cindy went through a divorce and Telma, her husband died or something like that. Mm-hmm. So they just joined forces and buy a house, which I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. I love that. I think we should all live in a commune. Um, I love Telma. I love her very much. I think she has a beautiful singing voice. Oh, yeah. The episode where they sing is really great. Mm-hmm. And then last but not least, we have Joseph and Julius Wright, who are twin actors that are portraying Richie Crawford, the infant in the first season of Family Matters that is Rachel's son. So Carl and Harriet's nephew, Laura, Eddie, and Judy's cousin. So on the show, this is really fun information, the credits list him as Joseph Julius Wright, as in one name, (laughs) because the studio didn't want for people to know that it was twin actors playing that part. So that's why in Full House... In the beginning seasons, you notice that it's Mary Kate Ashley Olsen. They exactly. try to do the same thing where they try to, and I always thought there was three of those, three of those bitches. <laughs> like I was like, "There's three of them. Why are they saying the Olsen twins? Like, what's wrong with the other one that they don't ever talk about her?" And that's coming from me because I'm the exact same age as her. Like she's a month older, or they, <laughs> uh, Mary Kate and Ashley. <laughs> I'm confused by twins. Sorry, y'all. Uh, Mary Kate Ashley are like a month older than me. I said that Joseph and Julius were the last characters to be introduced. Yes, you did. That's a lie. The incomparable Jaleel Ahmad White, born November 27th, 1976, came in and stole the show, literally. Stole it. Picked it up with his bare hands and ran with that show. Jaleel was cast as Steve Urkel who the reason I chose this episode is the very first episode that we actually ever meet Steve Urkel in its original run. Mm-hmm. He had such an impact that he became the focus of the show. Like he stole the scene from the Winslows for it to essentially become family matters about Steve Urkel, which is really funny because when I was watching this episode, researching it, Patricia, uh, Andy's going to kill me for telling you this. I love it already. I was watching the episode with Family Matter, Steve Urkel comes, and then Andy's like, man, when did when did he get his own show? Like, when when did that happen? It was so good. I really loved his show. And I was like, what are you talking about? And he was like, Steve Urkel's own show. Like, he's a spinoff, right? And I was like, no, no. girl. He literally just stole That's the show. That's just Family like, he Matters was... that he stole. <laughs> yeah. And I, I don't mean that. And Jaleel White was a child and he didn't steal it it's like the producers who wrote it around him right but he was an amazing talent dude like he completely earned that in my opinion like steve urkel in this episode that we talk about today is in my opinion charming hilarious and like you want to get to know more about steve and like there are moments where like the studio audience is cracking the fuck up at steve also i think like like you said like this actor it's not his fault at all but what we can speak to is how this kid, because he's a kid in this episode, like how old would you say he is? Maybe like 12, 13, 14? Yeah, 12, 13, 70, he was born in 76. Uh, this is 89. I'm sure they probably filmed it in like yeah. 88, 89-ish. Yeah, so yeah. He's, a, he's like probably 12. He's a young Freshly guy. Freshly 12 at that. 
I don't know how much acting experience he has, but he comes out here and he stands next to Reginald Bell Johnson and he steals the spotlight. He can be in front of all eight Winslows and you're still looking at Steve. That's a testament to this actor. Like, if they could carry it, he wouldn't have been able to. Patricia, I'm 100% on board with you on that because, like, Rosetta Lenoir, Joe Marie Payton, Reginald Val Johnson, and the children, uh, but the adults specifically were yeah. like really talented stage actors. Yes. And he came in and people loved it. And I get it. I do too. Uh, Jaleel, White, Jaleel White also is very talented in other realms as well. He, uh, I think he rapped and sang at some point yep. um, with the show, whatever. But also, he's a voice actor. He played Sonic the Hedgehog. Yep. Like voice. He voiced him in all three American cartoons. One of my favorite ones, uh, what is it? Sonic Underground. He vo- voices all three of the sibling hedgehogs. That's amazing. Sonya and Man. It's wild. I love it. He's like super talented. So this is a pro Jaleel White podcast. It is. I really, really love it. I remember when he sang as Stefan Urkel. And yes, it was really yes. good. It was really good. Yes. Yes. E- even though we Steve breezed Ur- over it, but I was a huge Eddie girl. Like, I was in love with Eddie Winslow. I was like, that's my in. I'll marry Eddie, <laughs> and then I can be a Winslow. Oh, something weird about this. Okay. So, Eddie plays the older brother, right? He is actually younger than Kelly Shanine Williams, but like two months. His birthday is May 2nd. She's older than him, but plays that the little sister. Shocking! I'm shocked. I like Darius must have been like a tall kid. Like yeah. I was like, what? There's some really interesting stuff that I just only like touched the tip of in terms of like uh, life behind the scenes of Family Matters. It's really interesting because all three of the teenage like leads, Eddie, Laura, and Steve, are all the same age. So imagine like growing up with those people that you work with and you're the same age. And like I know for a fact Kelly Shanine Williams and Jaleel White shared the same tutor. So they were like together all the time. Oh, I'm sure they were all in class. Like the full house girls talk about that. How you were like there was a teacher on on set and you all had class together. Even if one of you was fifteen and one of you was eight, you all had class together. That's so wild to me. Steve Urkel became such a huge character. I mean, we're going to talk more and more about that, but he appeared on all over oh, yeah. the TGF lineup and shows on ABC. Like, he was crossover king. He was on Step by Step, Full House, uh, some show called Mego, which I don't remember particularly, and he had, like, cameos and stuff. Like, Damn. Steve Urkel was it. Steve Urkel was it. And on that note, let's watch some TV after our commercial break. We opened the episode with Rachel using Eddie as a model, wearing a gorgeous coral dress that she's making for Harriet to wear for an inner date with Carl. He asks her to hurry up, but complains about the paint. Rachel assumes it's about the dress, but in reality, Eddie cracks a joke about it being the push-up bra, and it's accidentally poking him. <laughs> Speaking of which, with the last of her pins, Rachel accidentally pokes Eddie, and she's like, let me go get more. She leaves Eddie standing in the kitchen by himself on top of a chair in the dress, looking in a mirror, trying to unzip it off of himself. We then get Carl, Laura, and Judy walking into the kitchen, not really paying attention, (laughs) getting obviously confused when they see Eddie trying to take a dress off himself in the kitchen. 
completely embarrassed, stands there in awe when Carl steps in and says, Edward, I think it's time we have a little talk. <laughs> and then we cut to the credits. The wonderful song by Jesse Fredrickson. I think Jesse Fredericks or whoever, he did all the songs for Lorimar, Perfect Strangers, Step by Step, Full oh, House. We talked about that, but he did. I didn't know those yeah, were all the him. same guy. Yeah, that's it. Um, he so wrote them. He said, I'm going to perform. <laughs> this opening scene gives us so much A-plus content here. Like, first of all, you're getting the sight gag of Eddie in the ridiculous dress. And it is ridiculous. Then, when Carl catches him, as Brayden said, he's trying to, like, take the zipper off. But what it looks like, really, it looks like he's posing and looking at himself in the mirror. Yeah. Like, like, yes, queen, yes, queen, yes, queen. It's really funny. It's really funny. Yeah. Gives me tinge of anti-gayness, <laughs> but it's 1989. We'll let it go. Can you imagine living with your sister, who is a totally qualified seamstress, fashion designer, uh, clothing maker? No, I would love that. I wish one of my sisters would learn a skill that would Shit. transfer to me being on Drag Race. If my brothers could just like learn to do a hem, I'd be super impressed. <laughs> All right, Dick Barry. <laughs> um, after the credits... Harriet is cleaning up around the house as Laura, home from school, walks in, begging her mom to let her go to the dance. Harriet is adamant. No, she believes Laura is too young to go to a dance and to start dating. She says you can date when you're 15. Laura ain't having it. She's following <laughs> her mom all around this kitchen, begging and begging, trying to wear her down. We get this really great scene with Laura dragging uh, Aunt Rachel, the cool aunt who gets so into the conversation about asking her, Aunt Rachel, can you believe my mom won't let me go on a date until I'm 15? And then uh, she asked Rachel, like, essentially what old she was when she started dating. And Rachel was like, oh, pretty, pretty old, like 10 or 11. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, really, Rachel? Whoa. That's, that's interesting that you were dating at that young. Whoa. Okay, Blanche Devereaux. <laughs> Carl then comes home from work as Laura starts to butter him up. She attaches herself to him as he walks over throughout the kitchen. She asks Carl if she can go to the dance, and he allows her to. Harriet chimes in, says, no, Carl, she's too young to go. Laura's like, Mom, you let Eddie go when he was 13 to a dance. You take a girl out on a date to go roller skating. And Harriet's like, yeah, I did, and that was a terrible mistake, so you're definitely not going. <laughs> she's like, Eddie's messed up. So we, you know, we learn, we get through this. And, you know, I think that's a, as a parent that I'm not, because I don't have children, I think that's a, I think that's a good rule. It's like, I did let your brother do that, but we learned from the past that like, it's a bad idea. So therefore you can't do it. Do you, do you agree or no? Do you feel like everybody should be held equally? I 100% hear everything that you're saying. I hear everything that Harriet is saying. I will counter with my own personal bias. I, like Laura, until season five apparently, is a middle child. And I feel like middle <laughs> kids get fucked over all the time like this. Like, oh, your sibling did something stupid and now that's your fault. So Eddie, like that was, I don't like that part of this. Like what's good for the goose is good for the gander is kind of my opinion. It's not my fault Eddie's immature and dumb. I'm very mature and smart. You should trust me for who I am. That's a very good point. 
you're 100% right. And I think that's Laura's argument, too. She's like, I'm not Eddie. It's like, right, I'm a totally another I person. I make straight A's. Thank you. Yeah. And that, I mean, that is a fair point. I retract my last statement about like <laughs> saying you changed your mind about it with other kids because each of your children are different people, allegedly. I don't know how genetics works. <laughs> At this point, Laura's kind of charming Carl to talk it over with Harriet, and you can tell that Carl is wrapped around Laura's little finger. Like he, she's like, "Daddy, please," and he's like, "All right, baby." And then he talks to Harriet, and they have like a really good conversation. Uh, and Harriet eventually reluctantly agrees, and oh, but only because Carl tells Harriet that he will drive by in the squad car every hour on the hour, right. which I think is a great compromise. Yeah. I would like to gush just for a moment about the beautiful marriage that exists between Carl and Harriet. Because they didn't fight about it. Like, there was no argument. They just were like, hey, I feel this way. Hey, I feel this way. Let's compromise. Like, that's so nice. That's exactly what yeah. you want in a marriage. It was, it was nice to see on TV because you know what I mean like it wasn't like Roseanne where people screamed it wasn't like I don't know I thought it was cool no I agree with you I think that is really good like uh, show of communication between two partners good job Carl and Harriet I'm saying um, I was doing a little research apparently Harriet passed the police force as well I think that's where she and Carl met but she quit when she got pregnant with Eddie that's just a little uh, backstory on the family matters for you that made my heart grow four sizes when you said that. I wouldn't. Harriet, <laughs> Harriet would be a fantastic cop. Like, I'm kind of mad she quit. I'm kind of mad. I understand, but I'm kind of mad. In later seasons, she is no longer like the. I think she becomes like security guard mm-hmm. uh, in the first season of Family Matters for the Chicago Chronicle, like head of security or something like that. And she does that for several, several many years until she gets fired slash quits because she won't fire her team. There's a whole storyline about it, but that's, that's what that's kind of who Harriet is. We're now at Leroy's, the <laughs> happening young person eatery burger. I don't know. Do you have a place like this, Patricia, that you no, would go to? I am not a TV person. I did not have a smoothie store that only existed to cater to students. No, I never had this. I wish. I'm saying. They're playing Bobby Brown every little step I take, which I think is absolutely fucking fantastic. I'm like, how did they get the how did they get this? Like how do they pay for this song? Oh, good question. Um While at Leroy's, Laura and her friend Penny are sitting and enjoying some burgers. Laura is bemoaning the fact that she can't get a date. Penny is like Laura you waited too long, sis. I don't know what to tell you. If you were up on your game, you could have got somebody. And then Eddie walks in. Penny is in love with Eddie. I don't know if you noticed that when you were watching it, but like, <laughs> did I notice? Do I relate to Penny? Am I Penny in this story? <laughs> I did notice. And Eddie kind of agrees with Penny. He's like, "Yeah, Lord, you waited a little bit too long. The only person that you can go with is Steve Urkel, and everybody's disgusted. We don't meet Steve yet, by the way." <laughs> But everyone is disgusted is the right word. Like, everyone's like, ugh, just, just don't go. Never mind. Like, the whole room cringes. It's funny. So you identify with Penny. I do. You had you had friends with hot brothers that you were into? Or <laughs> did anybody ever like Josh? Did you ever have a friend who was, like, weirdly in love with Josh and you're like, you're an idiot? Absolutely not. <laughs> 
Um, <laughs> you have to kind of remember, in my brother's defense, so we moved to Kentucky uh, right before my freshman year of high school. And basically, I think up until my senior year, Josh didn't live with us. He was still living in California. So, like, oh, during right. my high school years, quote-unquote, Josh wasn't really around. No, but I was always in love with everyone's older brother. Um, <laughs> you know, every single one of my friends that had older brothers, but they had to be older. They couldn't be, like, teenagers. That wasn't hot to me. Uh, speaking of people who are in love with, well, I guess it's the opposite. Your dog is in love with my puppy, <laughs> which is weird. I think your puppy made certain advances towards Bernadette. And she's never <laughs> uh, facilitated advances like that before. So it was learning, and I won't have you shame my pet. All right. She's a cougar, that's all I'm saying. <laughs> so after Eddie suggests Steve Urkel and everyone basically throws up in her mouth, Laura <laughs> refuses. She's like, no, I want to go with that hot guy, Mark. And Penny's like, Laura, girl, what don't you get about not asking soon enough? If you were paying attention to study hall, instead of studying those books... Like a nerd. She basically said... Yeah, she said, <laughs> you chose books, I chose looks, and I know what's going on in... I know what's going on in study hall. Mark has a date. He has a girlfriend, girl. I'm just surmising everything that happened in this episode. This is kind of essentially what Penny said. This is basically verbatim what Penny said. <laughs> <laughs> Penny's a lot nicer. As Penny's delivering the the blow to Laura that she may not be able to go with Mark, we get the on-screen debut of one Steve Urkel. He walks up to Laura, asks her out, Laura refuses him, and then Penny runs him off by throwing fries in his face. That is very mean. <laughs> it's very mean. It's very rude. Laura did ask for her help. <laughs> I'm like, can you please get this guy out of here? And she's like, just starts throwing. It's ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, it worked. Yeah, yeah. We did also get to see Steve Urkel uh, for the first time as he's walking away, run into something and make a mess, which he becomes known for. Yeah, in like 10 seconds, we get a lot of Steve Urkel background. <laughs> like, he's always in the same kind of outfit. He has the same kind of walk. He wears the glasses. He Like, we see all the Steve Urkel tropes right away. They knew what they were doing. Mama, like, the audience ate it up. They were cracking the fuck up at Steve. Back at the Winslow home, over dinner, no one's called Laura. And it's getting kind of awkward. The vibe's <laughs> off. Aunt Rachel tries to break the tension, offers to make Laura a dress, which I'm like, Rachel, why would you bring it up? Laura freaks out. It's like, I'm not going to need a dress because no one's called Aunt Rachel. <laughs> uh, she's like, this happens every time there's a dance. No one ever calls. And then she runs to her room. She's very upset. Very upset. Very upset. Harriet takes this opportunity to feel vindicated <laughs> and tells Carl, see, this is why I didn't want her to go. It's not Harriet. You didn't want her to go because you didn't want to go boy crazy. <laughs> but I also love taking a moment to say I'm right about something, but I get it, Harriet. Harriet I, might be a uh, Leo. I for sure get fire sign vibes, for sure. I was going to say Sagittarius, but Leo could definitely be oh, it. Oh, okay. Um, I love a big fat helping of I told you so. Like, I love it. <laughs> petty, recognize Petty. But I want to get, again, a shout out to the Winslow family. Like, this is a considerate family, because they are sitting at the table... And everybody knows this thing is going on with Laura. And we're all, like, focused on it, not trying to fuck shit up. 
in my house, it would have been like three other people would have been talking at the table. <laughs> like, they're like, oh, Sis is upset about some dumb shit. Anyway, so the picture for the White Sox, like, they would just talk, and I would just be like sad in my feelings. They would just all talk. <laughs> oh, that's sad. I hate your family for that. No, I mean, it's You not, deserve to. <laughs> I'm not mad at them. I you would deserve just go to be into Winslow. my room. <laughs> but the Winslows Patricia really Winslow. are the dream. Patricia Winslow is my dad <laughs> name. I'm calling it House Winslow. <laughs> Miller Boyett's going to sue the um, fuck out of me. Yeah, a lot of people are. <laughs> Carl, seeing how upset his daughter is and refusing to let her down, he tells Rachel, go ahead and make that dress. He marches into the living room and he gets on the phone and he calls Steve Urkel's dad. <laughs> this is a man he met at the pet store earlier that day buying mice. He's like, Mr. Urkel? Yes, this is Carl Winslow. Is your son still dateless to the dance? My daughter is too. They should go together. Have your son contact my daughter. He thinks this is going to cheer up. The audience audibly moans. They're like, oh, no. Poor Carl. He was just really trying to be helpful. Really trying to be helpful. Carl is really trying here. Like, he sees how upset Laura is, and he desperately wants to help. But, like, parents don't ever do this. This is never a good <laughs> idea. Eddie then goes to try to cheer Laura up, even though she specifically <laughs> did not ask for it. She's like, I want to be alone. And he just sits next to her, ignores it. And he plays down dating to her. And Laura's like, Eddie, shut up. You're dumb. I know you're just <laughs> trying to make me feel better. This is when you really get to see that she's, like, Harriet's daughter, for mm -hmm. real. Because she has, like, those really quick comebacks and then she also delivers like that no nonsense kind of just like delivery where she's like matter of factly and you do see Harriet and I'm like good job Laura good job 100% and I am totally speculating it wouldn't have surprised me if the actresses spent time together working on the face because like Ooh, the face I, Harriet pulls Laura pulls the same exact face like it's like she puts Harriet on it's amazing <laughs> yeah I love the ensemble of the Winslow family, man. Really, really, really good. good. Eddie does give some good advice to Laura. He's like, okay, cool. You can be down about it, or you can take charge, and you can call Mark and ask him out instead of waiting for him to do that. Bam. Laura's like, yeah. Laura's like, whoa, should I do that? And he's like, I don't know. It's probably social suicide, but no guts, no glory, which is a really good big brother moment. He's like, all right, I'm going to go outside and shoot some hoops, <laughs> and he leaves. <laughs> I tried to be nice to you for five minutes and you were annoying. So I'm a bail. <laughs> do it. Don't do it. Up to you. Gotta go. Bye. He even said something really nice, though. He said, if anybody or anybody who wouldn't go out with you isn't worth it, which I was like, oh, okay. That's really nice, Eddie. It Thank you. It was really you. sweet. Laura then goes to the phone and rather bluntly asks Martin. Is it Martin or Mark? I think it's Mark. Okay. I've been putting Martin a lot in my script. <laughs> we'll just call him. M yeah, to the dance. Matter. On the night of the dance, Harriet is very, very impressed with Rachel's dress that she made for Laura. And Rachel's like, Harriet, does this dress remind you of something? And immediately Harriet goes, oh my God, that's the dress you made for your Betsy Wetsy doll when we were little, <laughs> wasn't it? Wasn't it? And she's like, yep. Like they had like a little moment. That was, was cute. cute. That was cute. Harriet, admiring Laura, then sees a loose thread on the dress and tries to help, rips it off, 
and Rachel loses it. She's like, why would you do that? Well, because the sleeve and I kind of like, agree. Yeah, the sleeve falls right off. So like she pulls the stitch out, and the sleeve falls down. Like Harriet, sis, come on. But also, Rachel, that sleeve should not fall off like that. <laughs> <laughs> she may not have been done. Maybe we don't know. True, true. Harriet makes some joke about not knowing it was a tearaway dress, which is weird. <laughs> um, Rachel then tells Laura, "Go upstairs. I can fix this. We don't have much time, but we can do this." And they both run off. Scared, scared. Laura and Rachel both go upstairs. Harriet runs to the living room as Carl's getting home. And she's looking for something to help Rachel get ready for the party. She tells Carl that she's helping Rachel get Laura ready for the party. Carl hears this and he's like, oh, my little scheme with Steve worked. (laughs) Steve called Laura. Laura accepted the invitation. Uh, And as Harriet runs upstairs to help the ladies with the dress... We get a doorbell ring. She tells Carl to answer it. Carl opens the door. Guess who it is? Steve fucking Urkel. No! Steve has flowers in hand. Uh, They still have the bulbs and the roots still attached to the flowers. Uh, Carl invites Steve in, and he's like, come on in, son. Steve laments to Carl that when his dad told him about his date with Laura, he about wet his pants. (laughs) Very earnest, kind of like conversation between Carl and Carl doesn't know how to take that. <laughs> Everyone in the audience is cracking up. It got the biggest <laughs> laugh of the show, I think. Yeah, I bet you're right. He's stealing the scene, dude. He's totally stealing the scene, and Reginald Bell Johnson is playing like the perfect uh, catalyst to it. So it's like Steve's yeah. great, of course, but it's Carl's reaction to Steve. That's always so funny. So I do think you need Agreed. both of them. Like, you need both of them. Agreed. I do think that, like, Carl and Steve together really play off one another really well. For sure. Steve tells Carl that he's liked Laura since the first grade. So he's had a huge crush on this girl. Aww. Laura doesn't know he exists. Well, I mean, she knows his, she she knows he exists, but she does not give a fuck about him. <laughs> Steve's talking to Carl about the flowers that he got from the cemetery. Um... Which is wild. Carl, again, is immediately <laughs> disgusted and just like, what the fuck? So he's like, why don't you go in the kitchen and wash off the roots from this? Because they're Steve. covered like, just... in dirt. Because he ripped them up yeah. from the ground and has brought them to Laura as a gift. He thought to bring a gift. That yeah, is very kind. That's so true. So, But, counterpoint, did he think to bring a gift? Or was he on the way, saw the flowers... <laughs> I mean, that's still, he thought about it, I guess. Yeah, I was going to say. So Steve agrees, and he walks off into the kitchen off screen. Before he goes, he says, wow, this is a nice house for a cop. And then he knocks some shit over. (laughs) It's great. This is a nice house for a cop is funny. And it is a nice house. It's a huge house. Yeah, it's wild. Steve is wild. And then he, like, knocks some shit over as he, like, leaves. And Carl's like, what the fuck did I do? He's Carl's definitely second-guessing what he yeah. just did for Laura. He's like, wow, yeah. that yeah. kid is a bit much. Yeah. Carl then calls for Laura to let her know her date has arrived. And Rachel runs by, freaking out. She's like, you got to stall, man. This dress ain't ready yet. Stall, stall. As she runs, she's just frantic. And Rachel's giving a great performance. Really good. Because 
she's being a supportive aunt, and she she cares about her art, her dresses. <laughs> Come on, Carl. Eddie then walks into the house with his friend Tyrone, who has headphones on the entire time, and I don't think actually utters a single word. He introduces him to Carl as Laura's date because he paid him $10 to take her out. Again, because really, Eddie felt bad. really considerate brother here. Like, I know he's wrong, and this is inappropriate, but that's so nice. Also, Tyrone's a baby. <laughs> I mean, he's not unattractive. Like, there's worse dudes, Laura. For sure. And think like, about today. Think how many people exist and they have their ear pods in all the time. Tyrone has true. the curve. <laughs> true. Carl's like, well, son... That's not going to happen because Ari got a date for Laura. She's going with Steve Urkel. And then Eddie immediately asks, you mean the mouse eater? Carl is taken aback by this because he initially met Steve's dad buying mice. Yeah. He does not let this go this entire conversation with Eddie as he's like talking about stuff. Eddie is mad that he already paid Tyrone. And he's like, Dad, I already gave Tyrone $10. Like, so he's going with her. Sorry. And then Carl's like, wait, wait, wait. Can we go back to the mouse eating thing? Has anyone ever seen him eat a mouse? Or just like... So, watching this scene with 2022 eyes, I assume, like, mouse eater sounds like a slur. Like, it sounds like, oh, <laughs> that's a mouse eater over there. And I think, like, a butthole. Like, a that's... I, don't, I know that's probably not what it is, but that's all I could think of. When I was watching this. You would. <laughs> Sinner. As Laura comes down in the new dress, Eddie tells Laura, here's your date, Tyrone. You're welcome. I gave him $10. <laughs> She's like, no, Eddie, that's not my that's not my date. Eddie's like, no, 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 it is. I paid him $10. <laughs> Eddie's not letting this $10 go. He's like, he already has the money, so like somebody needs to take him out. Laura's pissed. So is Harriet. Carl pretends to be pissed. He's like, oh my god, that's so terrible. Why would you do that, Eddie? Oh, Edward, this is a terrible thing that you did. Edward, why would you even Lord- think to do this? That was so rude. Edward, god, I'm disappointed. Yeah. I hate to throw that word around, Edward, you know that, but I'm disappointed. Like, <laughs> Carl really lays it on, and it's funny. Laura continues to scold Eddie, and Carl tries to distract from his involvement in the situation as the doorbell rings, and Laura's actual date shows up. Carl, very confused, realizes he's fucked up with setting Laura and Steve up, (laughs) so he tries to shoo everyone out of the house before Steve can come out of the kitchen, which I'm like, then what do you do with Steve after that? Like, (laughs) That is a problem for future Carl. Don't worry about it. Yeah. Uh, get the family out as he's trying to shoot truly as he's trying to get everyone out the door Steve bursts out the kitchen (laughs) still with the same flowers that have not been washed for Laura and he's floored by how beautiful he is she's like wow you're so beautiful and then the next words out of his mouth was wow are you wearing a bra (laughs) actually this is probably the biggest laugh of the fucking episode it is for sure people love that It was weird. Went to commercial break. Harriet confronts the kid, asking, who are you? And Steve's like, my name's Steve. My dad told me that Carl set up a date between me and Laura. We're going to the dance. Laura's furious and humiliated, as she should be. Yeah. So now with the double humiliation from Eddie and Carl and what they've done by setting her up with dates when she didn't need it, she runs out the house. Harriet tells Tyrone... 
and Steve, thank y'all for coming. You're no longer needed. Please go home. <laughs> Steve just stands there with Carl and Laura's actual date smiling, like just not taking the hit. Like, Steve, you should go home. On the porch, Harry and Laura talk about the whole dance and the situation with asking Mark. Harriet's like, at least you had a nice boy ask you out. She's like, actually, I asked Mark out. She's like, oh, okay. Well, at least he likes you. She's like, well, actually, he just broke up with his girlfriend, so he's probably just like, would have went with anybody. Laura then kind of thinks that she's ugly because of all those circumstances. Harriet reminds her that she's not, and then she gives a good mom speech on dating. Harriet tells Laura that the boys, yeah, she tells her that the boys are shy like her and they're scared of rejection. She then gives a story about how many times Carl had uh, to get over his fear to ask her out. So it kind of lets Laura know that things will be all right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Laura's happy after that talk and she goes back out to Mark and they leave for the dance. As they're walking out, Mark tells Laura that he's liked her for some time. So it kind of shows her that she's not ugly. You know? Exactly. Great things. Just as they leave, Rachel comes running out with the finished dress that she fixed. And Harriet's like, girl, they're gone. It's good. <laughs> we just put her in another dress. She had other dresses. Yeah. So it was fine. <laughs> yeah. It's good. It's good. It was very Christmassy, but we won't get into that. As Rachel, Carl, and Harriet are standing talking in the living room after that, Steve just strolls back into the room uh, with the Winslows. <laughs> and then he just says... I hope y'all don't mind if I stay for a while. My parents told me not to come home till at least 10. Uh, The parents telling Steve that he can't come home until 10 is funny. As everyone's looking at Steve in disgust once again, which is a running (laughs) theme apparently with this show, he asks if anyone's got any cheese, which (laughs) further horrifies everyone. And that was like one of his lines. Um... Got any cheese? Did I, was I just do that? Say, yeah, he had to. We had to work in the cheese thing because that's like Steve Urkel's thing. Is he loves cheese? Because he eats mice. Um, I will say that he doesn't do his really famous line of "Did I do that?" until the next episode, episode thirteen, because I okay. watched that and I was like, "Oh shit, that's <laughs> where it is." After the dance, Laura comes home. She tells everybody about her date. And she says, for three hours, they didn't even dance. They just sat around until the last 15 minutes when Mark asked her to. She said that was the best part of the dance. Carl apologizes to Laura for what happened and for making her look like a fool or like a charity case. And the episode ends happily on Family Matters. Really sweet. And Laura kind of gives it a Harriet review. She's like, it was stupid. Like, the girl sat on one <coughs> side, the boy sat on the other side. It was just awkward and dumb. She's like, I talked to Penny for most of the night. And I'm like, yeah, Laura, welcome to the jungle. It's terrible here. Yeah, honestly, though. So this episode marked the first appearance of Steve Urkel. That's why I brought it up. Uh, I thought it was very important because Steve Urkel was a fucking zeitgeist in, like, the 90s and late 80s, like, for sure. Pop culture, like he was always around. During the first run of broadcast, Steve didn't appear until this episode, episode 12. After this, like, episode aired and he was so popular and things like that. In reruns, 
they added him into the credits for this season the entire time. Wow. In the opening. And they even shot scenes to add to earlier episodes. So I think he actually appears for the first time in reruns, but like continuity wise, like in episode three or four. Holy shit. But then like Harriet knows who he is then, but episode twelve, she's like, Who are you? Right. So it's kinda of like weird and out of order, but that's what they did. Yeah, I mean, if you listen to our episode last week about Mr. Nanny, like, if if Hulk Hogan was a cultural phenomenon, you definitely have to say the same thing about Steve Urkel. Like, oh, humongous influence. Not maybe influence is too strong a word, but like you said, like, he was a part of the pop culture quilt. Dude, I'm telling you. And what's weird is, like, again, he was only signed on to do this one single episode for this show. That was what Jaleel White was signed up for. Yeah. As a one-time guest appearance. The producers were surprised by the live studio audience's reactions to him during that first taping. Like, I mean, you could hear they were laughing uproariously at, like, that kid. There was apparently reports of people chanting, Urkel, 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 at the end of his first scene. Wow. Yeah. He then became a recurring... Uh, character followed by the starring role. Again, Andy thought the whole Family Matters show was surrounded or like centered around Steve Urkel. Yeah, he I mean, like, he's not wrong. Oh, I. Yeah. That's wild. Yeah, it's wild how the show started off with its focus on the Winslows, but then they became the supporting cast to like Steve's antics. Yeah. It's weird. And then shoehorning it into early episodes where he wasn't even in for later. It's wild. It is wild. I kind of love it when that happens on a show, like when a guest comes on and they just totally change things. Like I make that argument for James Masters as Spike on Buffy, um, but yeah. like Jesse Pinkman, Aaron Paul's role on Breaking Bad was only supposed to last episode or season one. And then like he became the whole heart of the show. Like I love it when that happens. I think it's really interesting. And I think it's really smart yeah. when showrunners take advantage of that. Like be flexible. Yeah, dude. If you have this gold mine, take the gold. Like, do it. <laughs> Girl, and did they do that? Yeah. A gold mine. They had so much merchandising. Uh, they had posters, books, lunchboxes, clothes, trading cards, a talking doll. In 1991, they had a fucking cereal called Urkelos. <laughs> like, I'm telling you, they were, like, capitalizing on Steve Urkel's, like, fame and success. Big time. It's wild. Like... This episode also being like the Steve Urkel's debut was referenced several other times throughout the series as well. So anytime that Carl tried to set up Laura on a blind date, she would refer to this. She'd be like, remember my first blind date? It was Steve <laughs> Urkel. So please don't do that again. And he's like, you're right, you're right, you're right. Um, here's something weird. Speaking of George Clooney, once again, I put him in here for a reason. He was doing TV shows on the same studio lot as Family Matters, and him and Jaleel White would play basketball together on breaks. Stop it. Yeah, my dude. That's wild. I know he loves basketball. Yeah. Good job, George. Later on, as the show got super popular and Steve did his thing, I will say that it got played out, and I think Jaleel White also kind of got a little tired of playing that character and wanted to reach out and do different roles as well, so we stopped seeing him doing, like, Steve Urkel and those associated, like, characters with Family Matters for a long time. He did reprise the role of Steve and the Urkelbot in Scooby-Doo <laughs> and Guess Who? Hell yeah. 
Heck yeah. And then he did it one more time, dog, when he um, worked with Snoop Dogg with Snoop's weed titled Purple Urkel. Stop it. And he became a spokesperson for that. I love that. Yeah, the commercial is absolutely wild. They're smoking weed and they're talking about like high school bullies and getting beat up. Yeah, it's wild. Wow. It's wild. Wow. I would love to smoke weed with Jamil White. <laughs> that would be so fun. I'm sure you could. What's up, man? Are you ever dial. in Chicago? Stop on by. <laughs> That's amazing. Come see the old house. It's wild yeah. to me that they didn't make a movie. Like, that's how pop, like, for, maybe you don't know about Family Matters. That's how popular Steve Urkel was. Like, I'm honestly shocked they didn't do at least, like, some TV movies. Like, or never Steve say goes never. to Hawaii that could or something. That could He happen. could have been the new Ernest. Yeah, yeah. But I get, like, the actor not wanting to do that role forever. Like, that would, if it, if it got on our nerves, imagine how much it got on his nerves. Thank you all for tuning in. And if you have any questions, suggestions, or embarrassing confessions, please send us an email at thewaybackrecap at gmail.com. That's thewaybackrecap at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram at thewaybackrecappod. If you'd like to support the show or listen to bonus content, exclusive episodes, visit our Patreon page. Our original cover art is by Laura Strobish. Uh, remember, wherever you listen to podcasts, follow or subscribe to The Wayback Recap. If you enjoy yourself, please rate and review the show, but if that's too much... We totally get it. Tell a friend. Preferably a responsible friend who will rate and review the show. And join us next time. I'm Brandon. And I'm Patricia. And on behalf of The Wayback Recap, take, take care, care of each, each other, other y'all. y'all.